Well, good morning, Christian Family Chapel. Glad you're with us this morning. And, you know, we declared in song, Holy Spirit, send us in power. And the truth is, he has. And that's what this couple that Ryan just shared about is responding to, to be sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are not connected in any way to one of our already existing commended missionaries, or if you are and you still have capacity to be able to invest in God's work among the nations, I really do want to commend to you our couple to the Middle East, the calling of God upon them, the power of the Holy Spirit in them, that they would be his witnesses in that portion of the world. You know, we are singing about the Holy Spirit this morning because, I don't know if you know this, but today marks 50 days since Easter. And that's a significant day in the life of our faith because 50 days after Easter is when Acts 2 takes place, the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes. But we're not going to look at Acts 2 today. Even though this is the day of Pentecost, we're going to look at Acts 1 today because we'll not fully understand what happened in Acts 2 until we get what happens in Acts chapter 1. So uh, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. And and as you turn there, let me acknowledge this. Uh, We just talked about what God is doing in the world and how we might pray to that end. But I think you would acknowledge as well with everything going on in our nation, we need the work of God in this nation as well. And so uh, I want you to know we're not ignoring that. In fact, at the end of the message, when we take the Lord's Supper together, I'm going to lead us specifically in a time of prayer for our nation. And then... After our message, as we have done every week, we're going to have a time of Q&A. And that time of Q&A this morning is going to include a good friend of mine, Anthony Johnson. Anthony is a, is a good friend, an African-American, and I want to invite him into the Q&A that we might together talk about what God is doing and what we would, it would mean for us to be the church At a time like this, we don't have all the answers by any means, but we do seek to, as Matt led us earlier, we do seek to be the body of Christ at a time like this. So uh, I hope you'll stay on after the message for uh, the time of Q&A with Anthony and myself. So Acts chapter 1. As you're there, let's read together the first nine verses to begin with to, to see why what happens in Acts 2, Pentecost, is so important. It begins like this. The first account I composed, Theophilus. Now, pause already. The writer of the book of Acts is a physician named Luke. And you'll probably recognize that name Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. So as he begins Acts, he references his gospel that he wrote first. And in so doing... I don't want you to miss what he says. The first account I could Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up to heaven after he he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering, that that is his death on the cross, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 4, gathering them, now the apostles together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. To wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What we know, looking back now, is 10 days exactly from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Things don't ever change, do they? We always want to know, okay, when's that going to happen? We always want to know future events. The disciples were no different. And I think it's super important that we not miss what Jesus says to their question. Is it this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? He says, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive, what? Power. You will receive power when, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth, which for us now in America is back toward the Middle East, right? That's why we're sending that couple. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so that is what we would refer to as the ascension of Jesus, where he goes up into the clouds and disappears. Now, what I don't want you to miss about these opening nine verses is actually... uh, Very easy to miss because we often read right past the first verse in almost every book of the Bible because we think it's just, you know, like greetings. But did you catch that the gospel writer Luke, who writes this book, the book of Acts, began by saying the gospels record the beginning of, of the work of Jesus on earth. That's easy to miss. But he says it's the beginning of the work of Jesus on earth. Now, just pause for a moment and ask yourself, have you ever thought about the Gospels as the beginning of the work of Jesus on earth? I haven't thought about it at the beginning. I've thought the Gospels give me the beginning, the middle, and the end. It concludes with what? What we just read in verse 9, the ascension. It started with a birth. He lived 30-some years, died, buried, rose again, appears for 40 days, and then ascends. End of story. Closing credits. But that's not the way Luke frames it. He says it's the beginning. Now, if you missed it, go back to verse 1. The first account I composed, the office about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. So actually, the ascension 
is not the end of the story of the work of Jesus on the cross. The ascension is the end of the beginning of the work of Jesus on the cross. So we need to think it's completely different. It's the beginning. Now, so if it's the beginning, when's the end? Well, go back and let's read next two verses. And as they're gazing intently into the sky while he was going, so kind of like people tried to watch the, the shuttle launch yesterday and, and see it. I see it. I see it. I don't see it anymore. Gazing intently into the sky while he's going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. That'll capture your attention. So they're looking up. Whoa. Two men. And as they're gazing, they see them. And it says, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Which is kind of a funny question because, well, because it's not every day you see a guy like rise up into the sky. So that's why we're looking into the sky. Oh, but, but that's not their point. Why do you stand looking in the sky? In other words, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This was just the beginning. The end of the work of Jesus on this earth will be when? When he comes back again, like you saw him leave. So the beginning of the work of Jesus on the, cross, uh, 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 on the earth is the gospels. The end is when he will return to finish his work on earth. If you want to read about the beginning of Jesus on earth, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to read about the finishing of Jesus' life or work on the earth, you read Revelation 20, excuse me, 19 and 20. Because the last two chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, talk about a new heaven and a new earth. So we get the beginning in the Gospels. We get the end in chapter 19 and 20 of Revelation. What about what happens in between? Well, back to verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of from me. In other words, he's going, I've talked to you about it. It's about to happen. Wait for it. And what he wants them to wait for is what he had told them some 40-some days earlier in his last supper where he celebrated Passover feast the night before he was crucified. This is what he's talking about in verse 4. When he said, you heard of this from me when we were together for Passover. And then I was arrested that night and crucified the next day. And he is referencing back to John chapter 16 where he says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, ascend, if I leave, I will send him to you. See, Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is totally dependent on Acts chapter 1, the ascending of Jesus from the earth, the end of the beginning. And he says, I will send the helper to you. And he had already talked to them about the helper in this same 
context around the Passover meal, go back to chapter 14, it's the same conversation just a few minutes earlier. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the helper. The spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit whom the world cannot receive. Why can't the world receive the Holy Spirit? Because this, because it does not see him or know him. You can only receive the Holy Spirit if you come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So he says, you're going to receive it, but the world can't receive it. It's only for those who know him. But you know him because he abides with you. And here's this. This is what makes all the difference in the world. And he will be in you. This is, this is what Jesus has been leading to. This is what the whole beginning of the Gospels, Gospels is a setup to. That Jesus, having been with them, is now going to depart. And you and I would think, oh, that would have been so awesome to be with him. He says to those who had been with him, you think, this was awesome. It's going to be to your advantage. It's going to be awesome, awesome if I go. Because it's going to go from me being with you to the spirit, God himself being in you. Not being with you where you go, but being in you where you go and being in you where you go and being in your spouse where you go and being in every person who knows him because the spirit of God is placed in all who know him to be in them wherever they go. So what I want you to understand is this, the ascension of Jesus is the necessary event for the continuation of the work of Jesus on earth here, according to now a new reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That, that's why the ascension is so important. It had to take place so that the work that Jesus began, recorded in the Gospels, could continue until he returns to finish in Revelation 19 and 20. Now, don't just fill in blanks if you're, if you're keeping notes here. Understand what the scripture is telling you and I. Totally different, at least, maybe this isn't going to be true for you, but totally different than what I grew up with. I grew up thinking that Jesus did it all, and Jesus is going to come back and finish it all, and my role was not to muck it up too much in between. But really... Never in my wildest imagination or any instruction, frankly, or maybe I was instructed and I missed it. Maybe you've missed it. You have as a believer in Jesus, the indwelling Holy Spirit, not just so you don't muck it up too much, but you have the Holy Spirit in you because Jesus has only gotten started with what he wants to do on earth. And he's going to come back and close it out in the ninth inning, if you will. But between the first inning, if I can use a baseball analogy, between the first inning, the Gospels, and the final three outs in the ninth, it's not Jesus on earth. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And as Jesus did his work, 
you are to do his work until he comes back. The continuation of the story. It really, quite frankly, blows my mind. So God himself in us. To think of it this way. Think of it in our terms like if the work of Jesus on earth was a Netflix original series. All right? How would it go down? Well, up until now, I put a, uh, if I would have seen Netflix an original series, the work of Jesus on earth, you know what I would have thought? Ah, they're going to do the Gospels. No. Not if Netflix got it right. They wouldn't just be doing a series on the Gospels. If it was a Netflix original series, the work of Jesus on earth would be season one, the Gospels. And what would be the real clincher, the final episode in that season called the Gospels? Look at him go. Yeah. The ascension would be the final episode, but it was just season one. And then, according to the same Acts chapter one, what the, the two men in white say to the apostles looking up in verses 10 and 11, there's going to be a final season. And that's going to be recorded again, Revelation 19 and 20, the millennium. And the, the first episode in the final season, which everybody looks forward to because they promote it. What's going to be the final season? Whoa, I can't wait to see the first episode in the final season, right? Here's the first episode. It's going to be a good episode in the final season. It's going to be the second coming of Christ where Revelation 19, Jesus comes back with all the saints to rule and reign and to finish his work on earth. That's going to be a great episode to the final season. So what about this? How many seasons between season one and the final season? That's what the disciples wanted to know. How many seasons is it now? Is there only going to be one second season? And Jesus says what? It's not for you to know the seasons. It's perfect. Netflix never wants to know how many seasons there are going to be. They just want you to have more. They want you to go, oh, we want more. And we know there's a second season. We don't know how many more seasons until the final season. How will we know it's the final season? When Christ returns to earth. What's the premiere of season two? Pentecost. Not spelled correctly there, my bad. The Holy Spirit coming. Acts chapter 2 is the opening episode to season 2. Because, why? Because it is the opening episode of the continuation of Jesus still doing his work on this earth until the final season. What's the theme of all of these seasons that will end with, we think, the rapture, though some would disagree with that. See, I think he went up. <laughs> and then 10 days later, the spirit came down. We'll have unknown number of seasons. Then he will return in the clouds. We'll meet him in the clouds. A seven-year period of tribulation between 
the second to the last season and the final season, the final season being the second coming. The theme of all of those seasons, two through how many? To be spirit-empowered witnesses. That is what these seasons are going to be about. Spirit-empowered witnesses. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is why at CFC, our purpose statement, our mission statement, whatever you want to call it, simply this, to grow fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. In other words, to grow characters who will be a part of seasons that will continue the work that Jesus began in the Gospels. That changes my perspective about what I'm doing in these years that, that God gives me on this planet. I'm not just trying to mug it up. I'm not just trying to make him look bad. I'm not just trying to get through until I can get to heaven. See, for too long I thought that Christian life was ultimately about he forgave me so I could get eternal life, so I could get to heaven, and I just got to get there. But you and I have divine purpose as characters, if you will, in this continuing work of Jesus until he returns. He started, he's not done, and he has placed his spirit in you, friend. His spirit in you so that you, not somebody else, not just some paid missionaries, just not the couple to the Middle East, but that you, if the Spirit of God lives in you because you have trusted in Jesus, that you would be a character in these seasons of Spirit-empowered witness. That you would be continuing on your street. That you would be continuing in your school. That you would be continuing in your workplace. And all the people that God has placed around you. That you would be continuing the work that Jesus began. Until he ascended. And sent his spirit. So that the work wouldn't stop. We... I hate to even use the word characters because it sounds like we're acting and we're not. It's real life. We're not playing a game here. We're not playing a part. We are living as instruments of God for Jesus to continue the Father's work on this planet. There is no greater privilege. You see, when Jesus, again, upper room, He's describing to his disciples, he's going to go away. Their hearts are troubled. And then he says to this, again, John 14, he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father's in me. We're one. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. See, we need to know that Jesus that did, that started the work on the planet, he was not here operating independently, doing whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted. He was one with the Father, but fully submitted to the Father because it was the Father who was doing the work and it was the Father's work. Jesus was the instrument through which the Father 
did the work. And he says to his disciples, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Uh, I'm telling you. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. If you're not believing my words, look around. See what has happened. It's been the work of the Father done by the Father. Now, we'll follow. He says, truly, truly, I say to you now, uh, the disciples around the table, he who believes in me, and they did Judas has already left the room. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. See, I think we miss it. We think he's done and Jesus said, I'm not done. I've just gotten started. The works that I did, you're going to keep doing. You are the continuation of the work that I began. And Seasons two through whenever are going to be even better than season one. See, that's the sign of a good series. You're like, ah, oh, man, I like, the, I like the first season better than two, three, four, five. That's what lots of us think. We're like, oh, man, if we could have just been in season one with the Gospels. No, Jesus says, you got it wrong. You don't understand. You don't understand me. You don't understand you. Because if you understood me and it was the Father in me doing the Father's works and you understood you, you would recognize the seasons are going to get better. And then there's going to be the final season where I come back and close it out. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he'll do. And here it is. This is why Acts 1, the ascension, is so important. Because I go to the Father. See, he's not just handing the baton of, hey, keep it going. Don't drop it. Don't muck it up. He is handing the baton of responsibility, but he is handing the baton of relationship. He is handing the baton of oneness. As I was one with the Father, you will be one with me because the Spirit of God, if I go, will come. The helper will be in you. And as the Father was in me and I was in the Father, you'll be in me and I will be in you. And as the Father did his works through me, I will do my works through you. Are you capturing it? It's so easy to miss. We've thought so wrongly for so long about Jesus started it and finished it and we're kind of not trying to muck it up till he comes back and cleans it all up. But you and I get to continue what Jesus got started in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, it's to your, again, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. See, the Christian life is, don't miss this. Ian Thomas says this, the Christian life is the life he lived then, lived now. How? (laughs) By him, in you. Those are simple words, and maybe you've heard them before. But I wonder, have you heard them before? Like, really it makes the difference the way you live today. 
It makes the difference the way you engage your family today. It engages the way you go to school or go to work or go to the gym or walk in your neighborhood that you would say, oh, I am a Christian, which means what? God himself in the Holy Spirit lives in me. And the life that I am living is his life. Did he live then? Live now. Still by him. But now, in me. See, it's, it's really not just a figure of speech when, when I say, Lord, would my neighbors experience you through me? That's the Christian life because he is in me. And as people experience Jesus in the gospels, people are intended to experience Jesus through us in episodes two, or excuse me, in seasons two through whatever. Really, because he lives in us. So how's this work out? Well, we're continuing what Jesus did. And that means two things specifically. That the presence of the Holy Spirit in me empowers me to make disciples who make disciples of all the nations. That's what Jesus started in the Gospels. And I said, this is what you continue. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see what he's saying? I started disciple making. I want you to go continue it. And I want you to continue what I did by declaring what I have declared, teaching them what I taught you. You teach as I teach you. And as the Father was with me and in me, I'll be with you by being in you in the person of the Holy Spirit until when? Until I come back and close it out on earth. It's very clearly make disciples who make disciples of all the nations. That's the continuation that Jesus has charged you and I with. And it doesn't come down to just a select few. It's what he intends for everyone to participate in, in the Holy Spirit. Because when the Apostle John is given his revelation and he writes it in this book, here's what he sees. He says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb who is Jesus, 
You see, there is a, there's a revelation, there's a picture that all these seasons are moving toward. And that picture is people from every tongue and every tribe and every color worshiping. I got to say it. It's the exact opposite of what we see in every newscast this weekend in the United States. Not, not waving banners of hate and racism, not torching things, not rioting, but every tongue, every color, every tribe, every people worshiping. That's why we're here. That's why the Spirit of God indwells you, so that you would give a clear picture of what God is doing on this planet. He's continuing what Jesus began, and he's doing it through you because he gave his Spirit to you. And so that's the picture that as the church, when we see what we see this weekend on TV, we had a, our hearts ought to be broken and burdened, that that is so far from why we are here. Not division, but for unity and worship of the one to whom salvation belongs and worship to the Lamb paid the penalty for us so that we might worship our Savior and our Creator. That's the picture. But it's not just the fact that it's me. Yes, the presence of the Holy Spirit empowers me to make disciples who make disciples of all nations. But watch this. This is a corporate work. And this, I know there's no blank for this. If you like blanks, it's a long sentence here. But, but I want you to capture. This is a corporate work only accomplished as each one of us serves as we're uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit. You understand, it's not like, okay, I have the Holy Spirit. Now I'm supposed to make disciples of all nations by myself. No, I am part, the scripture says, of a body. Uh, that's an image. Or a family. That's another image in the New Testament. I'm part of a people who have been redeemed by God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit that you and I together, as we work corporately as the body of Christ, that together we would be making disciples. You see, if I have to do it all, it's not going to happen. That's kind of the difference between Jesus and me. But he didn't only save me. He saved all who would believe in him, a family. So that if I would play my part and you would play your part, whatever it is, that we together would make disciples who make disciples of all nations. It's why we have a couple going to the Middle East, but why we have more than 300 people we're saying, will you play your part in praying for them? Will you pay, play your part in, in helping finance them? See, it takes a whole family. It's a corporate Work Disciple making involves individuals working together to make a disciple. 
it's unfortunate that because my part is more visual than the guy who's behind that camera right there, that you think I'm more important than he is. And it's not true. What's true is he can click me off at any moment. Ben right over here to my right, he can turn me off any moment. They could shut this down completely. You say, oh, that's just support. No, it is disciple making. Because the words that I am teaching you as the Spirit of God has taught me don't get to you without other people using the gifts that has, God has given. And I think, frankly, you sitting in your living room or wherever you are right now ought to be more grateful than ever that we're not in this alone. That we have people gathered here who never get in front of a camera who are part of disciples making disciples of all the nations. You, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have a part. And don't shrink back from playing your part. Don't think that your part is less important than other people's part. Every part matters. This is the way Ephesians says it. The whole body. See, that's the image in the New Testament of who we are, the church. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. dependent upon every joint supplying what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Then, then when every joint supplies what they're intended and every part does what they're intended, then there's the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Then, then disciples multiply and disciples deepen. Of a part. And the Spirit of God lives in you to empower you to do your part. Mom, mom, every mom listening, if you're a believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you to, strength, to strengthen you, to empower you, to enable you, to lead you as you share in discipling your kids. When you feel worn out and exhausted, when you think, I'm going to pull my hair out, that's the moment where you remember the Spirit of God lives in me for this moment right now to strengthen me to continue the work that Jesus began. For every husband and father, listen, you are the pastor of your home. And you might be tempted to think, oh, no, 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 I don't want that, to, I don't want that title. Hey, that's your role. That is your God-given role. You are the pastor of your home. And if you feel intimidated or inadequate, believe that the Spirit of God dwells in you to give you everything you need to make disciples who make disciples. That God, by the Spirit in you, will give you wisdom and strength and discernment and he will be your peace and he will be your patience and he will be your love so that you would lead your home like Christ led his disciples. 
You're continuing what he began in the power of the Spirit. Students, yes, you go to school to get an education. But when you go to school for an education, you get to be the presence of Christ in your school. To continue what Jesus began and sharing and making disciples who make disciples of all nations. Because you're afraid doesn't mean you don't do it. It means you believe in his sufficiency. Because you feel inadequate doesn't mean, well, I'll step back and let somebody else do it. No, it means you step up and believe that the spirit of God is in you to empower you to continue what Jesus began. But it's not just what we do. I don't want to miss what we do. Every person in the body doing their part for making disciples. But there's more than just doing. There's being. The presence of the Holy Spirit in me empowers me to be holy as I am holy. That's what, as he is holy. That's what God said. Be holy as I am holy. The spirit of God in you empowers you to do that. Now, I don't know which, which one freaks you out more, making disciples or being holy. <laughs> ah, well, they both kind of overwhelm me. That's why the spirit of God dwells within you. But sometimes it's like, okay, I, I want to do, but man, my personal life's a wreck. Or, or Christian Family Chapel, listen, listen. Some of you, it would appear very spiritual, very holy in the life you live. But what you do is not making disciples. See, both of these are why the spirit of God indwells you. So that you would be holy as he is holy and that you would make disciples as he made disciples. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. See, he called us by his glory and excellence and he's given of himself. Next verse says that we're partakers of the divine nature so that we would live out that same glory and excellence because it's within us that we would be holy as he is holy. I am no longer only human. That's not just a cliche. And I'm not saying you're God, but I am saying exactly what the scripture says. God dwells in you. And when you shrink back and go, I can't do and I can't be, you are forgetting you are no longer only human. Yes, you're human, but you're not only human. Paul's testimony was this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, I trust him to be all that I need, watch, both to do all that he says and to be all that he is. Because it's his life and all his glory and his excellence. Where? In me. This is the reason Paul can say with absolute confidence to the Corinthians and to you and I, whatever temptation just knocks you down consistently, you need to hear this in the context of that Christ dwells in you. It's why he can say, 
to us. No temptation is overtaken, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You are able because what? Christ lives in you. And but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. You see, it's so easy to read that and go, oh, no, it is beyond me. You don't understand. It's beyond me. Yes, it's beyond you, but it's not beyond who you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. Because listen, he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted and did not sin. And he dwells in us. So that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be holy as he is holy. And we can make disciples as he made disciples. We're continuing it. That's why he ascended so that the spirit of God could come upon us. Now, back to verse 12 of John 14. He said to him, We already looked at this. I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to the Father. He's, again, I I hope I'm repeating enough so that you capture it. His going to the Father is essential so that the Spirit could come. Why is the Spirit come? It's not confusing. Very simply. So that we could do what he did and be what he was. So that we could make disciples as he made disciples and so we could be holy as he is holy. That's why the Jesus went into heaven so that the spirit could come and enable us. But that's not all. He also went to the father. Watch next verse. So that whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Did you catch that? Jesus went into heaven. So that the spirit of God could live in you. And so that as the spirit of God lives in me, he would be in heaven to give me answer to prayer and whatever I would need to do all that he has said. See, it's not only the ascension so that the spirit of God could come. It's the ascension so that in heaven, he might be the one to whom we would pray. Not to another person, not to a man, but to him we would pray. And in his name, we would ask for whatever I need to do all he has said. Now, listen. Most of us, kind of missed the context of prayer. Prayer was given as a resource so that we could continue the work. And generally we go, well, Lord, can you give me sun for my vacation? Now, that's not wrong to pray, but that's not why prayer was given. Some of you have heard me share this before, but John Piper puts this Uh, So perfectly, he says, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of a believer is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Now, what's he mean, wartime? Well, our creator, glorious God, has said, I'm going to fill the earth with my glory. And there is a destroyer who is seeking to keep that from happening. We are at war. 
And greater is he that is in us, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. And Jesus is in heaven interceding for you and I prepared to give us all that we need to do what? To be holy as he is holy. Answer every prayer to be holy as he is holy. And to answer every prayer of making disciples who make disciples of all nations. But what have we done? Turn it into a domestic intercom. He says, until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops, gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit, handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitters to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. That's what prayer's for. Watch. But what have millions of Christians done? They've stopped believing that we're in war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for a conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the cabin. That just bust our chops. Just let it bust your chops. Really. We've turned prayer into something that makes our life more convenient. And prayer was given so that along with the indwelling Holy Spirit, so that you would make disciples and be holy, Jesus would be there to answer your prayer as you sought to be holy and to make disciples disciples. So here's what I think really is in the heart of our God that we would pray. Father, teach me to live a spirit-empowered life. Not just doing what I can do in my own effort for as long as I can do it, but to live every single day believing you, Spirit of God, dwell within me to enable me to do supernaturally disciple making as a husband, a wife, a father, a mom, a neighbor, a teacher, a coworker, a boss, an employee, a student, whatever you do to be in that a disciple maker. Lord, help me to live a spirit-empowered life and so as not just to do something but not be authentic, to be holy as you are holy. A spirit-empowered life is a fruit-filled life and the fruit is a transformed life from an unholy person to a holy person and from a self-centered person to a disciple-making person. That's fruit. And it's why the spirit of God lives in you. Father, teach me to live a spirit-empowered life. And Father, teach me to pray in the name of Jesus, to pray about that which is on your heart, to invoke your blessing and your enablement and to invoke your provision so that those who aren't disciples would become disciples and those who are disciples would grow in depth of disciples by becoming a disciple maker. Father, grant me 
in the name of Jesus, all that I need to do, all that you've said. Because why? <laughs> because the gospels were the beginning and you and I were the continuation. So I want us, and this is what we had prepared beforehand. We had asked you to prepare beforehand. I want us to begin with the beginning of the work began with Jesus, the Son of God, living a perfect life so that he could die a substitutionary death. And when we take the elements of the Lord's Supper, we are taking together the elements that remind us that his body was broken for we who were broken so that he who is whole could make us holy. And the cup is the reminder that his blood shed for us as the perfect lamb of God takes away our sins so that we might be forgiven and made new. So as you take the elements in your hand, thanks, whatever you have for elements, I want you to bow with me. I want you in this time of prayer right now with, I hope, by the grace of God, great clarity in your heart that, that you are here to continue Jesus' work, that you would begin by just honest confession, admission before the Lord, ways in which you have not been holy as he is holy. If you've let the sun go down on your anger, would you confess that to the Lord right now? If you've been bitter or jealous or unforgiving, would you confess that to the Lord right now? If you've yielded to temptation to be afraid, to worry, or to lust, to be greedy, to love money, or to love status, you know what's hidden in the, the recesses of your heart and mind. Would the, and the Lord knows, would you confess it to him right now as a reflection? Or Jesus, I'm not living the life you intended me to live. I'm not being holy as you intended me to be holy. Confess to the Lord very specifically, very personally in this quiet moment. And if you have not given yourself whatever you do occupationally to being a disciple maker, if you've been building your kingdom and not his kingdom, if you've been pouring your life into making you great as opposed to making disciples, if you would look around the landscape of your life and see, I haven't really been seeking to make a disciple of anyone. Confess that to the Lord right now. This is where it begins. It begins by acknowledging, Lord, we've, we've dropped the ball. We've fumbled it. You started and we've fumbled. Confess it to the Lord if you've not been making disciples. And now present yourself to him. 
give your body that he is redeemed to him. Your mouth, his to speak with. Your mind, his to think with. Your eyes, his to see with. Your hands, his to work with. Your feet, his to go with. Present your body to be an instrument of righteousness. And then see what's happening in our nation. And would you pray with me right now? With these elements in our hands, the reminder that the racial boundaries have been broken by the death of Jesus. There, there is no color in the face in the sight of God. Would you pray that the power of the gospel would overcome the division in our country, that the power of the gospel would bring unity where there is fighting, and that love would fill the hearts of people because Christ would fill their hearts in the power of the Spirit and love would prevail over hate. Would you pray that you would demonstrate the power of the gospel in unity in the face of diversity? Would you pray for our leaders? Again, not all who are to be ministers of God and as governing authorities act as it, but would you pray that those who have the role would, would do the role in the power of the spirit with the discernment of God, that they would lead with wisdom and humility and truth, that that which has been covered up would be exposed that righteousness would prevail by the leaders who lead as followers of you, Lord Jesus. Would would you pray for our people? And pray believing that Jesus left the planet to sit at the right hand of the Father to intercede for very moments just like this. And I want to invite you, it might seem weird to you, but, but to out loud declare this with me. I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. God, we present ourselves to you to be your instruments, to continue your work until you return. Thank you for your great grace. Let's take in remembrance of it. Would you declare this with Matt together. There's nothing worth more will ever come close. Nothing can compare your our living hope. 
I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence Lord crying out Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the single one of us who called ourselves believers in Jesus, lived spirit-empowered lives and prayed in the name of Jesus, that we would be his instruments in this city and whatever city you're watching in, that you would be the presence of Christ because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, filling that place with the goodness of God and the glory of God and the love of God. That's what Jesus had in mind. He's gonna come back and finish it off, but until then, would you, with me, be his instruments to the praise of his glory. We're gonna take 60 second or so break and we're gonna come back and we'll have a Q&A time uh, not only about the message and in terms of what it means to live in the power of the Spirit and pray in the name of Jesus, but, but maybe some questions about what that means look like, what that means at a time like this, all right? So uh, if at all possible, I hope you'll stay on. Thanks for joining us thus far. God bless.